welcome to the Data Leadership Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony J. Algman. Data is everywhere in our businesses, and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a data leader. Today, I'm joined by Roz Dupitan. Roz is a third-generation Chicagoan with extensive real, real estate experience, a student of people, and a true believer in digital marketing. She's earned multiple business degrees, including an MBA from Chicago Booth. She is a wife, mother, and has been my colleague and friend for over 20 years. Roz, welcome to the show. Anthony, good to see you. Thanks for having me. So let's jump in. And, and I'll just, the, the 20 years thing, we were just talking before we started this. <laughs> It's been, we both started a job at Morningstar of financial um, star ratings folks um, over 20 years ago. We started on the same day doing very much similar jobs and we have been friends and stayed in contact ever since. And to see where your career has gone and how you've gone through some really interesting transformations and in what you've done. Mine has gone in a completely different direction, but like there's <laughs> some, there's some element here when I knew I was going to do the podcast, I'm like, there were a handful of people that I'm like, I know I need to get these folks onto this show one way or another. And you came without much convincing at all. Like you were like, I'm in on this pretty, pretty quickly. Some people have fought well, me harder. I'm just happy to have made the cut in your mind. That's oh, you were, you were definitely one of the first people. I'm like, I am absolutely going to get Roz on to tell, tell her story if she's willing to do it. So I'm really appreciating you, you coming on to do this because I think especially right now, there is an absolute, you know, interest in, real estate and the craziness of the, cause we're recording this during kind of still the height of the pandemic lockdown, everything with people and movement and, you know, office space and home working and everything is in flux right now. And to be in the real estate business today during all of this has to be either terrifying or amazing or exhilarating. I don't know, but I am excited to talk to you about it. So why don't you give us yeah. a little bit of background of, of where, how you've gotten to where you are in your career, and then we'll dive in deeper into what's going on in real estate today. So sure. I'm going to go background first. So um, before you and I worked together at Morningstar, actually one of my, or the main uh, internship that I had, corporate internship that I had was in commercial real estate. It's commercial property management, class A office space. And it was a, a component of real estate that I didn't really know anything about. Um, and it was my first uh, kind of uh, experience with something new that involved uh, real assets. Mm -hmm. And so I got to learn how, who owns those tall skyscrapers, why they own them and how they you know, sort of develop best practices for managing that asset. Uh -huh. So that was sort of what happened with me career-wise before we met. Morningstar was really um, data and analysis startup in my world for mm -hmm. my career. Um, and so I really got a feel for how you do rigorous analysis, the debating of ideas, the beginning to prove up sort of some of your opinions, your investment opinions, and beginning to talk, you know, quite publicly about a lot of those. So it was a a good early career experience for not only the analysis perspective, you know, a portion of that, but also that defending of ideas and proving things up and writing and, and that. So um, I loved all of that stuff. Did not really love talking about stocks all day <laughs> and right. uh, eventually found my way back to real estate. Um, 
as a broker uh, first, working with or focusing on working with investors, people who invested in, you know, uh, neighborhood sized apartment buildings, maybe something from six to, you know, 20 to 35 units or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and was doing it at a very interesting time when we were kind of uh, at the precipice of the first real estate meltdown. So yeah. I got licensed in 2005. Great timing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I bought a house in 2005. I know how good at that timing was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We all had a lot of fun there. Um, so, you know, was involved in that area and that niche. So, but the real thing I tested and learned, this is like 2005, 2006. My very first clients came by way of the combination of like traditional marketing. Mm -hmm. So a letter that would point to a website for a free report or an ad that pointed to a website for a free report. And it's really where I started to understand like, you know, I don't want to, I didn't come into real estate to kind of only be a networker handshaker type. I wanted to really be able to generate business from people that I did not know and had some very early success with doing that. Of course, mm -hmm. the market did what it did and <laughs> took us where it took us. And, um, and during the, the lulls of the recession, the deepest part of the recession, I went to work for the housing finance agency here in Illinois. I worked in their finance asset management group, began to lead that group and develop tools. So I have done that and I eventually got my MBA, thought I was gonna do something else and returned to brokerage yet again mm. uh, with a fresh perspective and some new ideas. So. Yeah, I've been kind of over the river and through the trees, but there's a thread that runs through it all. Yeah, well, I go back to to our early morning star days, and and I mean, we were both doing a lot of work with just understanding data files and helping to do some pretty rudimentary stuff in the grand scheme of things. But I I took a path more towards the technology side and building data systems and just kind of going down that path. And you took a path towards doing the analysis. You were a stock analyst. You did you know this you know at a, at a pretty substantial level with Morningstar and others, just understanding how the data works from that business context and then started to employ it in more and more of that real estate, which I remember even going back then how you had come from that internship on the um, real estate side and, and, and taught me some of that. I've always been interested in that, but never did anything with that professionally. So what in, in as a broker um, and in the real estate business, what are the kinds of things that you do to analyze opportunities and to find ways to connect with people? Because I know that's, that's a passion of yours. That's a really great question. So on the connection side, I have never lost my interest in really being able to create business opportunities for myself from people that I don't know. So more of a true business person's approach as opposed to, I'm not, I don't have a sales background. I'm actually mm -hmm. a salesperson now by virtue of the fact, you know, yeah. that I'm a broker but my background is not really weighted in that. So holding on to the ability to utilize, you know, digital platforms, social media, and merge traditional marketing with digital marketing to really create opportunities from outside of my personal sphere of people that I know. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, being a broker and understanding, being in business and understanding the ebbs and flows of different um the yield from different kinds of marketing, I've also been pulled into more personal stuff. Yeah. So, and that takes me geographically kind of all over. 
it, it, it helps me stay in contact with a wide variety of people, which is really important to me personally. It helps me maintain different perspectives and understand kind of what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but the best brokers, in my opinion, are those who can, pro- can give clients confidence. Mm-hmm. And data is a huge part of that. So my analytical chops, my ability to kind of get behind the data and say, all right, federal, you know, nationwide numbers, all right, state numbers, all right, city numbers. Here's what it means to be buying a two bedroom condo in the Fulton market section of the West Loop right now. Let me educate you on the actual market you're in so you can turn off the noise and get ready to make a great decision. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's, it, I think that perspective is applicable in a wide variety of things we can. And especially like right now, who here isn't like tempted constantly to look at the news and get more and more information that tells you literally nothing about what's Ooh. actually happening. Like you, you don't have focus. You're just kind of shooting in every direction all at once. And if you're yeah. doing that when you're on the precipice of an important transaction and making a big investment, you're just going to create a lack of confidence through analysis. It's fascinating because we, we, we think that data analysis leads us to more confident conclusions. Mm-mm. A lot of times it leads us to confusion. It leads us to uh, there was a joke in, in, in my MBA program that, that people would always tell us, like with enough analysis, any idea sounds bad. You know, and that, it's one of my favorites. It. You can kill anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, and, and yet on the other hand, you will also find me complaining about how people will do all this analysis and then just go from their gut. You know, they'll get the reports, they'll do all this stuff and they'll be like, ah, I'm just going to do this other thing that I thought I was going to do in the first place. And because well, they, that, they... Is an, that is really interesting because in real estate, <laughs> especially when you're talking about um, away from the investment analysis piece of that, because although I do some work in that area and consult with some people in that area, the bulk of my business is in regular residential sales at mm. this point. And so what you find there is that people really do, it's, a, it is, I find that my MBA courses in um, behavioral science mm. have been super helpful and have made me a better broker because I tend to understand what's going on depending on the type of person I'm dealing with. Because at the end of the day, when somebody's making a purchase of a home, usually that ends up being an emotional decision. Yeah, They are just going to use data to kind of orient themselves, maybe in the beginning if they're that type of person, and then maybe on the back end to justify the decision they've already made and have peace with it. Oh yeah. So the emotional piece and the blending, like the 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 ability to be able to kind of know what channel you need to be on at any given time and what what uh, sort of things to highlight to different people at different stages in the process is really important. And I've become such a so much of a better broker as I've matured and become be, began to understand people as well as the data. <laughs> yeah, you just gave me a terrifying realization though. So it is that I like to think I know a few things about data and understand how it should work and how to build these systems. And I'm like, I am absolutely brilliant at finding data to support a decision that's already made. Like I, I go in, I'm like, I need that extra justification. Bias at oh, work. Yeah. Completely <laughs> confirmation bias. And it's like, you know, even I who should know better and have a natural inclination to do that. Cause I love to do the analysis up front or do that, that data. And, and there's been times where, you know, I will say I've done the analysis afterwards. I'd made a quicker decision than I probably should have because I thought uh-huh. it looked good, found additional information and realized, uh-oh, that is definitely not the right decision. And then it's a question of can you back out of it or what have you. The lesson is take your time. Try to, you know, 
put the emotions in their place. I don't think it's fair to say you shouldn't buy a house with emotions or buy a, buy a living residence with a, with an emotion or even an office space with emotion. That's going to be part of the decision. It's okay. Like that's why we do it. But yeah. if that guides the business and transaction side of what you're trying to do, then that's going to cause unintended, probably negative consequences um, you know, as part of that transaction. And those are avoidable. Those are things that you can uh, mitigate if you're, you're being thoughtful up front and doing that analysis up front. And I think you know, just going back to you know, how you use data as part of that, you know, marketing and sales process. And as I've been an entrepreneur myself, you know, learning about the difference between what marketing is and what sales is and how data can influence it all. I think it's, it's, it's an interesting process and I will never claim to be a salesperson myself, even though I have to do some sales as part of my job. I kind of similar to, to what you said. Um, it's just, I think I've always been struck by your ability to be both deep and thoughtful in the analysis side while also being earnest on the personal side like that there's something more concrete there than a lot of folks that are just you know the 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 bubbly person in the room that everybody wants to talk to that you know is just in it for a transaction there is something there that i don't know how to put my finger on it but to me is is really important when i'm thinking about somebody to do to do business with is there any because because i've known you for so long like and that's always been the case like whatever your role has been that's just how you are is there any way to distinguish that or any any trick to that or is it just just who you are you like the less you know masked well, you are the better i am who i am but you know i've definitely built skills um as i mentioned before i feel i'm a much better broker now post mba hmm. than i was before part of that is maturity yeah. But a lot of it really does have to do, like we just mentioned confirmation bias, right? Yeah. Knowing, because I am sort of a data person, so I need a, a, a framework to understand when people are not operating with logic, right? Yeah. I think, and, and I had a client actually make an observation, someone who worked with me many years ago and somebody who worked with me post-MBA, post a lot of life changes. <laughs> and he said, you're softer now. And- I think I used to sort of really go heavy on the data and analysis and like, here is the logic. Why aren't you doing this? Well, I don't know how to help you. Like it, and not totally, but just more than I, than I did, you know, than I have in, in, in the later parts of my career, because I understand that people are having an experience, right? Mm -hmm. And you've got to work with them in their experience. And real estate is really not, if you're outside of institutional investment only real estate, it is at the intersection of triggers, right? Mm -hmm. It's people's money, it's their personal relationships, it's transition, moving. Like it's yeah. it's like you are meeting someone who is about to walk themselves into crisis. <laughs> you know, like, so, I mean, and I I've moved a, a number of times in my life and bought and sold real estate, and so understanding what that means at different parts of their points in life. When you have children, are you transitioning to a new school district? Is there tension in a marriage? Is there, you know, is there somebody in the background who's giving advice who doesn't really know? Yeah. People are dealing with a lot and having empathy as well as the ability to go into the data and say, I'm going to give you confidence. Honestly, that's what some of the best brokers are. They're going to give you confidence. And with me, 
the confidence is not purely from being able to say the right scripted salesy things, mm -hmm. although that is a component of it, no doubt. Sales is a skill, skill, and I have a great deal of respect for it. Mm -hmm. But it's also like, hey, I know you're anxious about maybe making a bad decision here. Let's go into the data and see if if if, if that is supported in what we're seeing, and then let's make some good guesses about what we think is going to happen in the economy, in the city, so that you can have some confidence doing what it is that you need to do now. Yeah, you, you bring up some really interesting points. And, and the, the empathy piece, I think, is, is to me the most striking and, and important in, in that you really understand and care that the other people have a good experience because it is like a house purchase is not typically something that people do lightly. And there are reasons pretty big reasons usually that there is you know a transaction happening at all and and that is a, a really important thing for um you know for for brokers to keep in mind and and, and i think there's parallels in, in in almost any industry the other part absolutely because people are at the heart of all of it mm -hmm. and i think with the tech i love technology as i said i'm a digital marketing you know devoted di digital marketer i am somebody who likes to dive into the data and gain new insights yeah. but you really have to begin to understand people and how to um, assume a posture that is less like you and more like them, not for the purposes of manipulation, but for the purposes of getting them forward, getting them to move forward with you, hopefully, but just in, if you can leave them with something. There are people that haven't worked with me in the beginning because I wasn't giving them an answer that they wanted. Hey, your house is worth, you know, this. And I, I feel strongly that this is what it is. And here, let me demonstrate it for you. And somebody else just summons saying whatever doesn't sell. And they come back and they say, you really took your time with me. You really educated me. And I just I just had to try it. You know, I just yeah. had to see if that was, you know, <laughs> hey, there's an extra twenty five thousand dollars on the table or whatever. Yeah. I'd had to see if that was true. But now I, I kind of always wanted to work with you and I'm ready to be serious now. So yeah. it, it, is, it is a journey. I try to tell people all the time, everybody, because the listings are everywhere now, because the information is widely available, yeah. people think they are good. People show up to first consultations with me like we have already narrowed it down to three places. We are... 80% sure we only need to see these three places and we're going to make a decision. Uh -huh. Can you take my order, please? And I, yep, I'm going <laughs> to pace with you and I'm going to know that that's probably not true. Because yeah. when you get into that place and you see how it feels and then in the on the way there's something, like it just never works out that way. But when you get let people do what they think they can do with their information, then they can trust you and let you kind of give them what they need. Yeah, no, and, and I just think about the parallels to when I go in and, and work with companies in a consulting perspective. I mean, I'm working with their data. I see everything, and and I and I need to, you know, recognize how personal that is to that organization, the people inside that organization, and and you know, it's not an easy thing to say, hey, help us. We need something that we're, yeah. we're struggling to do ourselves. That's a huge ask. And if I don't take that seriously, then I'm, I'm doing a disservice to them. So it, it really, it does come back and there's going to be people that are going to try to sell that quick 
solution. And I get it. Like sometimes you're going to, you're going to go explore that. And if that works for you, I'm so happy it does. From my experience, a lot of times it doesn't. And when you want to address it, if you think what I'm talking about will help you and, and maybe on the right wavelength for what you need, then let's talk more. But it's, it, I'd much rather not have to convince somebody to do what I'm doing just through manipulation. I'd rather them see it and hear it and, and be there for them. And I'd love to prove myself wrong more often. Like that's, the a, more, that's, a, yeah. that's a really good point because, you know, as business owners, right, we have to make sales. We have to engage clients. We need that as our lifeblood. Mm-hmm. I have found that um, when I am doing the right things with my marketing and lead generation, and I'm able, and that's online, that's whatever combination of mailings and other things that I'm doing. When I'm doing that consistently, I feel more at ease with each opportunity because I know there's a yes coming. Like if I am not actively um, pursuing business or lead generation or things coming in the door, mm-hmm. then as a business owner, I mean, with bills to pay and that you do sort of maybe feel a little bit more anxious about making something happen with one person. Um, the, the, the ability to sort of prime the pump and turn on the pump and feel, even though there's maybe nothing today, but feel like the flow is on is really important to being a, to being able to be present and really of service to that prospect that you have in front of you. Cause Sometimes you're not the right solution. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's Yeah. And and I've I've explored a lot with, you know, trying to impact people in at least a small way with relatively low effort um you know, avenues on my part. Like if I can cast a wide net and how I can serve somebody, I don't have to charge much. Like that's why I wrote the book and, and why I do the podcast. Maybe it'll introduce somebody to me or to, to a guest and they'll learn something and maybe they'll never work with us, but maybe they will. But it's really about saying, how can I serve a wider population than what my time would allow me to serve one-on-one and when the time is right, if the time is right for somebody or, or what I have fits really well with what they need, maybe then I'll have reached them through one of these other means. Yep. And to me, that's why so much of my emphasis and, and over the past couple of years, as I've evolved what my business is about, I've realized how much I love doing the generation of content or doing the online training or things that I can get you know, distributed at scale that become a lot more cost effective for people, but can solve 80% of their needs. And then I have some time to do things where they really need that extra amount for consulting or what have you. But most people could be served by lower cost, you know, simpler, more generalized things. And the more I can find different places that can fit with different people in different ways, the better for everybody. And, and it's, it's that focus that has really been for me, um, you know, it, it's felt the best is when I've said, how can I add tremendous value for somebody in terms of yep. cost benefit? And when I go down that path, I feel very good about about what I'm doing. And, and I and it's 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 interesting because I've never really thought about parallels in, in other businesses like real estate, but it's the same kind of thing. And, and I remember, I mean, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on this podcast was because I remember the videos that you did 
And you had a way of being able to talk directly to me through those videos and talk about oh, something good. that I that I may not <laughs> have seen before or thought about before, but an issue or whatever. Most of them didn't impact me because I wasn't in the market, but I would watch it because I knew you and, and was interested in what you were doing. But it was so fascinating because you were approaching it not from a sales perspective, but from an education perspective, from, a, hey, this is something you should know. And whenever you can apply this, great. But like here, let's talk about this issue. And that that was the analyst side of you really bringing forward something that I think makes for compelling marketing when it's not done for the marketing purpose alone. And, and I think there's something to that. And, and then it comes kind of back to things like, you know, the, those, I think an MBA program is still relevant because it helps you fill in the gaps of things that you don't even know to fill in. It's like, it's outside of your blinders. And so you could go read all the books in the library, but you don't even know you need to know these things sometimes. Yeah. And I, I go back to things like a, there was a game theory course that I had that was really interesting, but the marketing research course I took changed my life to understand how focus groups work and to understand how surveys work. It, it ruined me because now when I see a survey, <laughs> I see a survey and, and I'm like, holy cow, this thing is going to get the wrong results. Just by looking yes. at the questions, you it know was, the, the yeah. results are going to be wrong. <laughs> and, and, and like, so if anybody out there, take a marketing research course or go read some marketing research, but it will, it will blow your mind at how badly this is done everywhere. And sometimes yes. maliciously, sometimes intentionally maliciously. And sometimes just because we didn't know better. I worked for a firm where they tried to, you know, use their uh, survey monkey results as, you know, a pseudo scientific study. Like they had the disclaimers on it, but they tried to oh, analyze yeah. it in a way that, yeah. that drew projections. And it was, embarrassing to me like because i knew better but our marketing choice architecture like how's that where you are you asking <laughs> the right questions is there something like yeah all of it it, yeah. it it the best part of mba education for me is this is just it has given me the ability to ask the right questions um cons you know more consistently yeah. and problem solve which is the other big part of what any broker must be able to do you have to be able to unpack and break down problems and not be as easily flustered when a problem shows itself. I think yeah. you, I just have gained and I've always had some confidence, but I have gained confidence in my ability to solve sometimes complex problems. Mm -hmm. And what is going on right now with COVID, um, some of the bottlenecks in the process of getting a real estate transaction from a contract to a closing. There are new challenges that have emerged and really just unpacking and taking the problem solving bite by bite and just handling it is where you really um, are able to get your stuff done. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I'm glad you brought up uh, the current environment because I definitely want to spend a little time talking more about that. And, you know, so what else? So so the, the mechanics of the transaction and just thinking before we move into that, the, the thought I had around the MBA program, it's like, Real estate has a lot of multifaceted challenges to it. Some are financial, some are legal, some are zoning and like a lot of complexities that on the surface we don't necessarily think about if we're not in that space. But I could see how that MBA really helps in ways that aren't necessarily obvious to a layperson because those transactions are so complicated. So you mentioned yeah. how today the the 
COVID-19 crisis and, and, you know, just the mechanics of how real estate transactions are typically done, that is being impacted. What else or how how has your day to day changed? Because I imagine you're doing most of your work from your house right now, too. I am. I'm mostly working from home. Um, in the state of Illinois, real estate professionals are considered essential workers. So we are, you know, allowed to to continue to work because mm. people have to move and do stuff. Um, so it has been a matter of not just sort of sitting on the sidelines and waiting for something to reopen, but really getting in there and figuring out how to get your stuff done. One of the biggest things, you know, aside from showing mechanics and the, the challenge of being able to find creative ways to market a property where you can't necessarily host an open house, for example. That stuff is is kind of being talked about quite a bit and we've worked through some of those challenges. But the other piece of that is the front line, people's confidence, Yeah. Um, their confidence and their questioning and their assumptions. So I have had at least two calls a week from people who say, hey, Roz, <laughs> the interest rates are low, it's COVID, I know everybody must be freaking out. Sellers are going to like these prices are going to come down and I should be able to get a deal right now. And I will ask that person asking the right questions, where, what, how, because Mm -hmm. the city has been different markets for a very long time, maybe forever. I don't know, Mm -hmm. different housing stock and that. But even in the most recent history, there are some areas of the city and sometimes down to the what is the size of the condo you're selling in that location? Oh, you three bedroom in downtown are definitely in a buyer's market. You one bedroom are in a seller's market. So the assumptions don't really hold across a product type, even within the same market, but they certainly do not hold across the city. And that is true now. Hmm. So people are, you know, looking at the news all day and that's mostly national news and some local news to the metro area and assuming that there is just this bottom that's fallen out in prices. Mm-hmm. I have had plenty of clients. I think I've got four deals under contract right now. <laughs> and those all kind of started during this time period. And as I go to the data and begin to seek answers and educate people, what we've been doing, I've been doing more um, Zoom online consultations with people where I'm really, and I had already been doing that in my business, certainly for people that were super busy or just preferred not to get together as a first step, Mm -hmm. but now really doing that and really starting with, if this is what you're looking for, let me give you the reality. I'm gonna show you in charts. We're gonna compare March of this year to March of last year. And we're gonna look at the trend over 12 months. You can see directionally where it's going and then how much has actually changed from this time of the year last year. And people have found some pretty surprising (laughs) things. Either, hey, this is a pocket of opportunity. It was that before this. And now it's probably going to be more deeply that. And then there are other areas and product types and things where there are still multiple offers going on. You still have to be very ready to go. You kind of got to get in and make an offer. That is still happening all within the same city. That is amazing. And, and because I, as I start to think about, you know, just the the 
way that the supply and demand and the, everything is shaking, it's almost like the entire world and, and the real estate market being a microcosm of that has just been kind of shaken up and then redistributed. And, and everything is – it's still a lot of the same pieces, but what we thought we knew is different and sometimes in unpredictable ways. It's just like somebody hit the reset and the world respond and it's different now than we knew, knew it before. And we're just just starting to see how that starts to shake out as, as things open back up and as people start to to do things that are not um, mandatory, I think because I could imagine like perhaps and and tell me if this hypothesis holds any merit. Perhaps the supply and demand side have both reduced in kind, and that probably um, would lead to similar uh, overall pricing. But I imagine as we get out of like the triage crisis mode of anybody who can't stay still right now is making transactions, but people, you know, some people just have options and they're like, well, I'm not moving if I don't have to right now. But as things start to loosen back up, we're going to see a re-ratcheting back up and, you know, changing there. Is that what you're seeing at all? Or is that so, just not even So the case? many areas of, of the city, and this is an important distinction from what was happening, but we talked about, you know, 2005, 06, 07, yeah. those years where it really was starting to be a problem. The inventory is the biggest difference. Whereas in that market, there was a ton of building. Every McMansion in the suburbs was built during that time period, or many were. Um, you also had in the city, a lot of those big apartment buildings that I was talking about were being sold to developers for condo conversion. So you had this explosion of new inventory um, that was out there when the bottom fell out. Okay. And the bottom was driven, I mean, the bottom you know, started because of the, the mortgage defaults and things um, going on with the mortgage market. Um, now we are definitely looking at some pretty earth shaking um, things happening in our broader economy. So that I am not that person. I'm <laughs> going to say like, I'm not that hype person who's like, oh, it's not that bad. It'll be fine once we re No, the economy is taking a hit and I am not an economist, so I don't get into detailed you know, um, forecasts about what's going to happen, but I don't think that it's going to have no effect. Right. The difference this time, though, is in the real estate market, The invent there's so little inventory in most places. Even when you look at the downtown market, which had kind of been seeing more inventory come online, a little bit fewer sales happening, slower sales happening, um, it's still historically, especially relative to that last downturn, was a low in, relatively low inventory market. So as people reemerge, as you mentioned, you know, they come, you know, have want to do something, there's not a ton to choose from. Some sellers during this time period have pulled their homes off the market. I think I looked yesterday, don't quote me on this. I think I was looking at downtown and maybe maybe homes for sale was down like 16% okay. month, you know, the month to the previous year's month. Sure. Um, so there had been some reduction in inventory in the you know the COVID time period. As those things come back online, if all of them come back online, we're still in a historically low inventory um, you know market, and so the demand, if it should it ratchet up, is going to hit a low inventory, low supply uh, kind of thing. So you know that that doesn't necessarily support a huge, uh, you know, price reductions or, you know, price fall off um, in a big way. Now that's near term. Long term, I think we all have to look at what we think is going to happen in the broader economy and kind of back out from there. 
mm-hmm. um, because there there definitely is impact, but it's not coming into that impact is not going to hit an environment where there's a ton of inventory out there and developers have a million condos to sell. So that's a little bit different this time. The other thing I would say is that real estate, when a recession hits historically, real estate prices generally do not fall. Hmm. The exception is the last one (laughs) because there were other, again, structural other things going on. But in general, real estate is a great um, haven during a recession. And I think that might continue to be true, although there there's likely to be some disruption and some some um, distressed activity as people's personal lives take a hit. Yeah, well, it, it is interesting because in any individual circumstance, like we talked about kind of early in, in this episode, you know, it's a very emotional thing. It's a very personal thing, and it's triggered by very direct and immediate events. Um, but in the broader sense of things, there are macro trends. There are, you know, the, the patterns that, that tend to emerge. And, you know, one can imagine that if we're in a period of high unemployment, uh, there may be some motivated sellers on the market, but then there may be also some motivated buyers who want to make a move because of change changes logistically and and how they're working or where they're working or, you know, family situations. Yeah. Yeah. As you're alluding to people's tastes. So in the city, in condos, maybe now thinking about suburbs, I have um, family members and friends in New York city who are in, have always been, you know, in high rise environments, door person buildings that are now thinking about moving out to the suburbs because they're like, I just want a door that I can, you know, my door (laughs) and I want more space. And now this is feeling more important to me. So those are also the things I think over the next several months, we're going to see not only people in distress, but people reevaluating what's important to them and making housing decisions accordingly. Yeah, no, I think that's it, there's a lot of things in question. And I think that the residential side, which is where you you focus most of your um, activities, is one thing. And there's some clear things that probably even now we can see there's going to be a trend towards more interest in suburbs or, and some other things, you know, just per, you know, purely directly related to um, the COVID-19 pandemic. But then the implications for the commercial market and the office space and, and all of yeah. that is just going to be fascinating to see, because I've even in my like layperson's van vantage point here conflicting things because on one hand people say well there's nobody wants to go back to offices so the office market's going to crash and then other people are like well when the people go back to the office they're all going to need 40 feet around them to be able to have it so now we're going to need more office space and so like the truth is probably somewhere between those extremes but to see how it shakes out is is you know, it's nothing less than fascinating, maybe morbid, morbidly fascinating, but it's it's still, you know, again, it feels like somebody just, I don't know, it's like like a Yahtzee game where you shook up the dice and, okay, what do we have this time? It's it, like, that's how yeah. it feels. It's unprecedented. It's really amazing. It is. It is. And so the impacts into families, is it, that is definitely an area where, you know, you just want your heart goes out to everybody. You hope everybody is safe and that. But as a, a, a person, a student, an ever student, mm-hmm. I agree with you. There's a lot of interesting stuff happen, happening. And as disruption takes hold in any environment, interesting things tend to happen. I agree. Yeah. And and, and I mean, that's, you know, it, it's I appreciate 
you know, your earnestness by which you do your work and, and the, the connection that you have to your clients and, and how you're trying to help them through these things. And, and I think that certainly means a lot to, to the folks that you're working with. And, and, you know, we need more people doing that because right now is not the time to try to maximize profits to maximize profits. It's time to help each other get through it with whatever skills in our respective tool belts. Let's just put them on the table and find a way to, to help one another as best we can. So, um, what, um, you know, we only have a couple minutes left. Is there anything else oh, that we man. meant to talk about? Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't even like it. And, and it's, it's, I knew it would be the case, but it's, it's, you know, what do you have any advice for either people that mm. are navigating a similar business from a career perspective? Like if, if they're in not necessarily real estate, but performing a broker type role and, and finding their, um, you know, do you have any tips on, on how they might do good with zoom or what have you, or do you have any tips for people that might be in the, the real estate market? And, and, you know, thinking about maybe I need to make a transaction right now. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll try to address both quickly. Um, I'll start with real estate. So if you have to make a decision in real estate or even if you're curious about investment opportunities, now is a good time to tune in. And when I say tune in, not just look at real estate listings and watch for price reductions, tune in and find somebody to kind of listen to to help track what they're seeing because uh, a lot of the real estate industry is yes the data yes the price per square foot that you're seeing on real estate websites but it's also insights like well i have a buyer who looked at this we were doing this before now we're not doing that anymore mm. those on the ground insights paired with somebody who can look at the broader trends is going to be really helpful to you as things continue to change if you're that's whether you are a seller or a buyer of any type because we're in a period of change is coming and um, it'd be help, helpful to tune in and, and kind of find who you have credit or who has credibility with you, lock in and begin to move forward together. The right broker will have a relationship with you that is not only transactional. Um, that's on the real estate side. On the business owner side, I guess I would say don't lock your knees and elbows. <laughs> so I, this comes back to like gym class or something. I don't even know yeah. where I heard that. But it it's dangerous for you when you're doing lots of physical activity. And I'm not an athlete, but I was always told, don't lock your knees and elbows. Keep those soft. I think yeah. we're going to, as business owners, we have to um, practice that and not be so wedded to whatever we had been doing before. Uh, whatever the need had been and sort of looking wistfully back at it. We have to kind of stay with our people, whoever your market is, and figure out how to serve them. I've just been calling into my database, just letting people know that I'm thinking about them, seeing if they need anything. And I've had a couple of people who have shared with me that they have family members that are ill. They're, mm -hmm. Even if it's just support, people need it because they're isolated. And so beginning to reach out and be close to your people and show them that you care is I think some of the best work we can do right now. Yeah, no, I think that's tremendous advice. And I would even extend that in, in terms of advice for business owners is to recognize we're used to being a little terrified all the time about how we're going to make <laughs> payroll or like what's going to yes. happen around the corner. or Are we going to get that next deal? The people that have been let go from their jobs 
they didn't sign up for this. They thought they had more security than it turns out they did. We yeah. know very well what this fear is like, and we get through it, and we chose to get through it. We are better positioned in a lot of ways to weather Mentally, the storm. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So help those folks out. Recognize that what we, after doing this for a while, you start to take that resiliency, that grit for granted. It is way scarier if one day you went to work and they're like, yeah, you don't need to come back now. Um, yeah. You know, that that is it is really another level. And like being an entrepreneur, being a business owner is is, there's a lot of stresses, but you build up a certain muscle memory in dealing with those stresses. And we just want to be sensitive to to those others that are out there doing it. But I think your advice is is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So, Roz, awesome. Thank you so much for for doing this and being on the show. This is an awesome episode. So much fun. Yay! It was good seeing you as always. And I really appreciate the opportunity and have loved chatting. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and thank you all for watching or listening today. You'll find links and more information about today's topic in the show notes. Please remember to subscribe to our show on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Visit algman.com to learn more about Algman Data Leadership and the many ways we can help you become a data leader. Stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact. <laughs>